Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday morning, September 28th, 2017. As always, it is Mike Lyon with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast coming to you live from the car on my commute to work. And a slightly busier podcast this morning than we've had over the past couple of days. We are obviously going to get into the Red Sox first and foremost. They come away with a huge 10-7 win last night over the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, We will do some Patriots stuff by the end of the podcast. I also want to touch on Rick Pitino, who is a guy that is not necessarily always associated with Boston, but as Celtics fans will remember, had a very quick, somewhat memorable, somewhat infamous stint as the, as the Celtics head coach. And uh, there was big news with, with Rick Pitino uh, being essentially fired yesterday as a result of the college basketball scandal that we talked about. Uh, so we'll get into that later. But let's start, in, let's start on, in Fenway. Let's start with the Red Sox because they won a game last night that it, it, it kind of felt like they needed to win. I mean, they, it, it's, it's strange to say that after they had just had an 8-1 and road trip. They're still in the driver's seat. They were still in the driver's seat for the division no matter what would happen. And But they had lost two games in a row to start this series against Toronto with their two best pitchers, Drew Pomeranz and Chris Sale, both of them putting the, the, the team in an early hole that the offense just couldn't dig out of. And last night really didn't look good. The optics of the game just did, did not look good for a win. The Red Sox were facing a pitcher in Marco Estrada who had dominated them this season, uh, held them collectively to an, an average of under like a buck ten, had an, like an ERA of, of, of 130 or 140, just really had dominated the Red Sox. And the Red Sox were sending Rick Porcello to the mound, who has certainly been their least consistent starter all season. That would be putting it mildly. And the game started about as you would have expected to start it. Porcello immediately gave up three runs before the Red Sox even swung a bat in the top of the first inning. Uh, There were some boos in Fenway. The crowd grumbled. They figured they were going for another loss. But this time, the offense picked them up. One run in the bottom of the inning, three runs in the bottom of the second, five runs in the bottom of the third. And from there, there were some interesting moments, but the Red Sox were basically in control of the game. They ended up winning the game by the final of 10-7. Porcello picked up his 11th win of the season. Not exactly a well-deserved win. He did outpitch Estrada, but that's not saying too much. Uh, Porcello pitched into the sixth inning, gave up five runs, two of them uh, via the long ball, which increases his league leading and it may be a Red Sox high of, of home runs surrendered on the season to 38, just a, a substantial number of home runs to allow, especially a season after you win a Cy Young. So it continues his up and down Red Sox career, but he gets the win. And it's mostly due to the offense, which uh, came, came with the bats last night. Hanley Ramirez hit a monster home run, an absolute rocket which eventually gave, actually gave the Red Sox the lead in the bottom of the third inning after Toronto had tied the score in the top of the third. And it was a lead that they would not give up for the rest of the game. It, it just a towering home run over everything in left field. Got out of Fenway in a hurry. And if he can get going, boy, that would really help him. That would really help this offense, which, which has a, a significant lack of, of power to it. Uh, if he can get going in the middle of that lineup, that would really, really help. It's been down. It's been a down season all year for Hanley. So, if he could get on one of his hot streaks, boy, that would help an awful lot. 
Hanley goes deep. Mitch Moreland goes deep around Pesky Pole. And Xander Bogarts also hit a home run last night. And, and he continues to hit the ball pretty well over the last month of the season, which is, which is nice to see. It would appear that, and they played last night without Mookie Betts again. Mookie sat out last night, although he said he was okay and could have pinch hit if he was called on to do it. Uh, so that's a good sign going forward. Nunez was also out of the lineup. Nunez also says he's okay. Uh, and, but he was held out, again, kind of as a, as a precaution last night. Devers played. There were some reports that you know he, he, he was grabbing at his hamstring a little bit in the middle of one of his, his at-bats. It was good to see him in the lineup after he was removed on Tuesday night. He gets back in there. He did play the entire game. I, you know, we'll have to see about his hamstring. No real reports after that. But a good win, a, a, a big win. I guess not a good win, but a big win for the Red Sox and a needed one at that. So what does it all mean? The Red Sox get win number 92 on the season. That is better than the Yankees by three games. They've got a three-game lead over the Yankees as the Yankees won again last night. 6-1 to one over Tampa Bay and Yankee Stadium. Again, you don't expect the Yankees to lose much, if at all, over this last week. They pound the ball in Yankee Stadium. They're playing teams that they think they can beat. Don't expect the Yankees to let up. They've been pounding the ball for the past month, and they're going to keep doing it. Uh, but the magic number for the Red Sox is down to two. 92 wins for the Red Sox. If they get to 94, the Yankees cannot catch them. The most, the most that the Yankees can win this season is 93. And what that essentially means is the Yankees have to win out and the Red Sox have to lose out in order for the Yankees to win the division. If the Red Sox win one more game or the Yankees lose one more game, the absolute best the Yankees can do is tie the Red Sox for the division lead. And obviously two, any combination of two Red Sox wins and two Yankees losses uh, will give the Red Sox the division outright. Red Sox need to get to 94 wins in order to win the division. The clinch could come as early as tonight if the Red Sox win their game against Houston and the Yankees lose their finale against the Devil Rays. Let's talk about that Houston series now for the Red Sox. So this is an intriguing series between the Red Sox and the Astros for a number of reasons. And the first one, obviously, is the fact that the Houston Astros are the Red Sox' most likely playoff opponent in the American League Divisional Series. There is still a chance, and it's a closer chance than I had actually thought, that Houston could retake the, uh, the, the lead in the American League. If you can remember that when the Cleveland Indians went on their massive 22-game winning streak, they took over uh, the outright lead for the best record in the American League and home field advantage throughout the playoffs as Houston went into a little bit of a slide. Houston has since righted the ship. Here's another team that's absolutely mashing the ball lately. And they, like I said, they, they've righted the ship. They're going well. They're only a game behind Cleveland for the best record in the AL. Uh, a game or two. I can't remember exactly which. It's not, it's not much. It's, enough, it's, it's, it's small enough that, that Houston could conceivably catch Cleveland in this last series of the, of, of the year. So, but that being said, as it stands right now, if the playoffs started today, the Red Sox would have would win the division, they'd win the American League East, and they'd be playing Houston in the first round of the playoffs. Houston, beyond the, the, the potential of home field advantage in the playoffs, or throughout the playoffs, if they get to the ALCS, does not have a ton to play for in this series. I don't know how much they, the, the Astros value home field advantage throughout 
I would certainly not want to play Cleveland in Cleveland if I could avoid it. But <clears throat> I think the priority for Cleveland for Houston, you know, going forward is they've got to get their their playoff rotation and their lineup set. So the guy pitching the the Sorry for that. Anybody listening live and listening to the podcast, I had a little bit of a phone malfunction there, but we're good now. Uh, what I was saying about this series for Houston, like I said, the, the, the I think there's going to be a priority, although I don't know how Hinch wants to play it, how A.J. Hinch is going to play this for Houston. But my guess is that he's going to want to line up his rotation for the American League Divisional Series, whoever they play. Presumably it's the Red Sox, but it doesn't really matter. Whoever, whoever they play, they're going to want to get their rotation square. That being said, their rotation already lines up pretty well for this. The Red Sox, and this is going to be a benefit to them, the Red Sox will not face Justin Verlander in this series. If you can remember, the Astros traded for Verlander either at the deadline or just after the deadline, the the, the non-waiver trade deadline, and he's been pretty good for Houston. The Red Sox have had success against Justin Verlander before, but you'd rather not face him if you're, if you're trying to clinch, clinch a division. And they will not face him in this series. He made his last start for Houston uh, earlier this week, and he's not scheduled to pitch in this series. And he almost definitely will not pitch Sunday one way or the other because they're going to save his arm for game one of the ALDS. So you're not going to see Justin Verlander. You are going to see a pitcher tonight in Brad Peacock who's had an excellent season for Houston, just a terrific season. 12-2, and ERA is under three. Uh, he pitches tonight for Houston. The question is, how much does he pitch? And how long does Hinch want to leave him out there for? He's another guy that's going to be key for the Houston rotation in the playoffs. I would not be surprised to see him pulled after four or five innings tonight. The other question is, what is Houston going to do with its lineup? Are, is, is A.J. Hinch going to give some guys a rest? Uh, because, remember, Houston has hitters up and down this lineup that can absolutely match the ball. Jose Altuve is an, AL, an MVP candidate again. May not win it, may get close. Who knows? It's too early to say for that. He's an MVP candidate again. He gets on base a ton. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. He starts the lineup. Carlos Correa, Evan Gaddis, George Springer. There's guys up and down this lineup that can absolutely mash the ball. And, you know, obviously all of them are going to be needed for the playoffs. We will see if Hinch wants to give any of them a break this weekend. I would think, although I don't know that, I would think that Hinch will want to give them a break to get them ready for the, the far more far more important series that Houston is going to play next week. I, I realize that home field advantage throughout the playoffs is on the line in this one, and Houston... You know, certainly wants to, 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 to get that if they can, but if I was managing Houston, it would be more important for me to make sure my guys were healthy for next week and my guys were well, were well rested for next week. That in turn obviously creates it, makes it a little bit more difficult for the Red Sox when they play Houston next week, uh, if and when they play Houston next week after they clinch the division. The Red Sox have a lot more riding on this series, at least the early part of it, than the Astros do. It would certainly behoove the Red Sox to get this thing clinched as soon as possible so that they can get some guys some rest uh, for the American League Divisional Series next weekend. Uh, I said it earlier in the week, and I'm going to stick to it because they're still in a position to get this thing done before Sunday. 
Chris Sale would be in line to start the game on Sunday against Houston. I don't see any way that he does that. Uh, Drew Pomeranz is scheduled to start the game on Saturday against Houston. I'm not certain that he won't pitch that game, but if he, even if he does, it's probably just going to be to get a little bit of work in, and then they will rest him. Eduardo Rodriguez gets the ball tonight, and Eduardo Rodriguez is obviously unshackled. He, he can go for as long as he, as he can. Hopefully he pitches a good game and, and, and gives, puts the Red Sox in a position to win it. Uh, Doug Fister is scheduled to be the starter tomorrow night. I would expect that he gets the ball on Friday against Charlie Morton from Houston. And again, Pomerantz Saturday. Sale would be in line to start Sunday. My guess is that the Red Sox will give the ball to somebody else to make a spot start in that game. Uh, who knows who that's going to be, but I don't think it's going to be Chris Sale. Let's put it that way. And, and they'll, they'll try to get, and you know, it, it'll be nice to get their banged up guys a little bit of rest down the stretch here. Uh, Mookie is obviously dinged a little bit. He said he was okay. He's probably going to be in the lineup tonight. It would be helpful if, if he could get a couple of, you know, a little bit of a breather down the stretch here uh, in, in, so that he can get his wrist healthy. Seems like Bogarts has played a lot. Be nice to get Bogarts a little bit of rest, even though he's been hot. Uh, he's never going to ask out of a game anyway. Uh, um, but first things first, before we speculate on who the Red Sox are going to play and who they are not going to play. First things first, they've got to win the division. And if they win the first two games of this series against Houston, it does not matter what the Yankees do. They won't be able to catch them. The division will be theirs. Magic number is two. First game tonight, 7.05 against the Astros. I think the weather's supposed to be pretty good, so get on down to Fenway if you can. It, it's it's starting. The weather's starting to take a little bit of a turn, get a little cooler here in the Northeast. So get over there. Probably not going to be a lot of seats available, but get over there if you can. should be a nice night. The Yankees, as I said, will wrap up their series against Tampa Bay tonight if you're paying attention to what they're doing. The Yankees will send Sonny Gray to the mound tonight. It is his last start of the season in all likelihood uh, to try to win, to try to get that series sweep against Tampa. After they play Tampa tonight, they finish their season in Yankee Stadium with three games against the Toronto Blue Jays. And the way the Blue Jays were swinging the bat against the Red Sox, that's not a terrible team for, if, if you're a Red Sox fan, it's not a terrible opponent to want the Yankees to have over the weekend uh, because the, the Blue Jays just crush the ball against Red, against Red Sox pitching and against, you know, predominantly good Red Sox pitchers. Just beat them up all weekend. So if, if you want to pick anybody to play the Blue Jay, to play the Yankees, it might be the Jays. First things first, Sox tonight, 7 o'clock, four-game series against the Astros to end the regular season. So with the Sox taken care of for now, let's, uh, let's turn to the Patriots for a second. And as always on Thursday, there's, a, there's an initial injury report to talk about. There's not a ton of Patriots news that comes out of Wednesday's practice, but at least we can talk about who's going to be on the field and who is not going to likely be on the field for this Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers. That's a, a 1 o'clock game, if I'm not mistaken. The Patriots injury report looks pretty clean for the first time in a couple of weeks, which is nice to see. Uh, the only guy who did not practice at all yesterday was Rex Burkhead, who must be dealing with a fairly significant rib issue that he suffered in the game against New Orleans because he hasn't practiced in a couple of weeks. It does not look like he's going to play the game on Sunday either against Carolina. Other than that, however, the Patriots' practice report looks pretty good. Gronk, Chris Hogan, 
were were both off the injury report. Danny Amendola was also off the injury injury report, uh, meaning they're good to go, not even injured anymore, so that's nice to see. Dante Hightower, if you can remember, did not play last week. He didn't play against New Orleans. He did not play last week against Houston. He was, again, a limited participant. He's still, I mean, his, but he was a limited participant last week, too. So you don't know about his status going into the game against this weekend. Uh, it doesn't, again, if he's, if he's practicing, it, 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 to me what it says is he's got an issue. It's not a significant one. And, and the Patriots are managing him because, again, they, they need Hightower over the long haul of the season as the poor play of the defense uh, shows you. They, they, they really are in need of, of their leader on defense, especially in the front seven that Hightower is. So they're managing him. It's, it remains to be seen if, if he's going to play against Carolina. They could certainly use him. He's he's pretty much their most athletic linebacker that, that can play all three downs. Against a guy like Cam Newton, they could certainly use Dante Hightower in whatever role that they can give him. But again, let's see what the practice schedule is today. Let's see what the report says tomorrow before we try to figure out whether Hightower is going to be in there on, on, on Sunday or not. Other than that, the Patriots injury report looks pretty good. They're, they're going to come into the game against Carolina as healthy as they've been in a while. Uh, and that's nice to see. If you're a Patriots fan and, and you, you, you don't like facing banged up or you like facing banged up teams, then this is the game for you. Carolina has a bunch of guys that did not practice yesterday uh, or otherwise really dinged. Kelvin Benjamin is the number one wide out number one wide receiver for the Panthers. He did not practice yesterday. He's unlikely to go on Sunday. Greg Olson has a broken foot. Uh, he didn't even show up on the injury report yesterday uh, because he may be done for the season. He will not play on Sunday. Star Latulale, who is a, a big time defensive lineman uh, for the Panthers, did not practice yesterday. Ryan Khalil, one of their leaders on their offensive line, did not practice yesterday. There are, like I said, you know, what it shows you, there's guys banged up, up and down that entire Carolina lineup. This is a Carolina team that has really, really struggled early on in the season. Did win a game, but they lost a game last week that a lot of people felt like they should have won easily, and they didn't just lose it. They got massacred by the New Orleans Saints, who, if you can remember in week two, took their own beating by the Patriots in their own stadium. Uh, the Saints went out and just demolished Carolina in Carolina. Uh, I think the final was 34 to 13. So this is a, a Carolina team that is banged up, that is really struggling on both sides of the ball. They can't get anything going on offense. Uh, and their defense, which was supposed to be uh, a strength of the, uh, the, the strength of the team, didn't really play well either. So, you know, We'll have to see what happens with the with the Carolina injury report as the week goes on. Even Cam Newton's banged up, by the way. I mean, Cam Newton wasn't on the injury report, or if he was, he was a limited participant or a full participant. He's going to play on Sunday, I don't doubt that. But even Cam Newton is banged up. He's, he's taken a beating early on in the season. Last week he took a hit that kept him on the turf for a little while. Uh, so even he's banged up a little bit. And it, it's been a rough early go for Carolina. The season is young. Patriots are getting them at a time when they're not at their freshest. So, you know, advantage Patriots, I suppose, if you want to compare the injury reports. But we will certainly keep our eye on that and see what happens as the week goes on. 
So, quick Patriots report in the rearview mirror. Let's talk about Rick Pitino for a second. And I don't mean to bring up bad memories for Celtics fans, but, uh, well, let's do this. Let's just break the news or or do the news first. If you didn't see it, Rick Rick Pitino, uh, the men's or the former now men's head basketball coach at the University of Louisville, was put on, officially put on administrative leave without pay by the University of Louisville's, well, by the University of Louisville administration, along with their athletic director. I think the athletic director was suspended with pay. Um, the ultimate decision on whether or not he loses his job has to go through the, the, the Louisville's board of trustees, but that is expected to be a formality. The widespread expectation is that Rick Pitino was essentially fired yesterday as the head coach of the the University of Louisville's men's basketball team as a result of his role or the program's role in a scandal involving their player Bruce Bowen. Uh, Again, this all stems from what we talked about yesterday, the Tuesday arrests that were announced uh, by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, one of them involved Jim Gatto, who was the director of sports marketing for Adidas. He and a few other guys conspired to funnel some money to Bruce Bowen, a recruit who's currently on Louisville's campus, uh, about $100,000 in exchange for his commitment to play for Louisville. And uh, the Louisville program was largely thought to have been involved in that, uh, either through coaches or, or somebody in the program. In any event, Patino came out with a statement after this happened, which was just laughable. When it, I mean, and I talked about it briefly yesterday. Uh, his statement on Tuesday after this all came out said, "This this came as a complete shock to me. I knew nothing about it." And that was a laughable statement, only because you've heard it from Rick before, uh, not just once, but I think a couple of times. The the most prominent one came when uh, Louisville had the scandal a couple of years ago when they were uh, the, the the when they essentially were caught bringing strippers and hookers onto campus to have a party, an unsanctioned party on campus with some of the players uh, and some recruits. And Patino came out and said, I don't know anything about it. Well, the fact that he comes out again and says, I don't know anything about this, it's laughable because either you're telling the truth and you have absolutely no control or no knowledge of anything happening, whether nefarious or not in your program, or you're just lying through your teeth. Whichever one you believe it's a problem. So uh, Patino loses his job yesterday. I-, I thought I'd mention it just because he has, you know, he he has this obvious tie to Boston. Uh, he was the Celtics coach beginning in 1997. It'll be this will be a little bit of a requiem for for Rick Patino. We'll, we'll kind of remember. Uh, we we can remember his tenure here. It wasn't a particularly strong one by any by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, if you can remember, though, it sure started off nice. The first game in the Rick Pitino tenure came against, uh, it came at home against the Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls, and uh, the, the Bulls were coming off a championship that year, uh, and Pitino actually went out and beat them, and everybody was excited. I mean, the place, the, 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 the garden was rocking that night. It might have been a fleet center back then, whatever it was. Uh, it was rocking. People were thrilled. People were like, this is the guy, and then it just pretty much went downhill from there. Uh, he had a couple of really just poor drafts and poor, you know, made some poor decisions. Had all kinds of roles. He was still acting at, at, at Red Arbach's behalf or behest for, for some of the things that he did, but he was in charge of a draft 
which produced he had picks I think his first draft he had picks in the top top six he had the third pick and the sixth pick and he made a good pick in this in the third pick he took Chauncey Billups who carved out a career as a really good NBA point guard uh, you know he's not going to make the Hall of Fame or anything like that but he was a very steady hand for most notably the Detroit Pistons won a championship with them but also played in, in Denver uh, which is where he was traded almost immediately after he got to Boston so he made that pick and like I said shipped Billups off to, to, to Denver almost immediately and then he used the sixth pick on one of his own guys on a guy named Ron Mercer who was a very good college player for Kentucky uh, but never amounted to anything in the pros for the Celtics or, or any other team so that was your initial taste of Rick Pitino before he got that win with, with over the over the Bulls that first year. The the rest of his tenure as Celtics coach was pretty much nondescript. You, you can't really think of, of, of many other great memories uh, with him. I'm, I'm sure he got some other really good wins, but the Celtics just weren't a good team in the late '90s uh, and and the early 2000s. Uh, of course, Patino's most remembered for the infamous Larry Bird's not walking through that door, Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, Robert Parrish isn't walking through that door press conference in which he la- you know, in, in which he was essentially questioned for not having better players on his team. Uh, and that's what he came up with uh, in, in response and as, as a comment directed to the fans. So, you know, it, it, it the, the Requiem for, and then he, I, I think he left the team in the middle of the night. He, they were flying back, and he made a decision that he was going to go to Louisville, and you know, I'm going to quit as the coach of the Celtics and go back to the college game. And, uh, it, it's 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 kind of surprising to, to to think that that he's been the coach at Louisville for that long. He was he coached Kentucky. I mean, that's where that's where he came from when the Celtics hired him. He was, he was the coach at Kentucky for a long time, had a lot of success there. Coached Providence before that, so. There were uh, some New England ties uh, for, for Patino even before he became the Celtics coach. He was the coach at, at, at Providence College. Made a Final Four with Billy Donovan as his point guard. So, excellent college coach. Not exactly a world-renowned professional basketball coach, to say the least. Uh, I, I, like I said, I, I don't mean to, to do, make this a requiem or a, 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 you know, a soliloquy on Rick Patino. Uh, because quite frankly, like I just said, either he's the most naive and, and ignorance, or ignorance the wrong word, but I guess naive is a good word. He's the most naive college basketball coach and college athletics coach in history for letting all this stuff go on under his watch without knowing a thing about it, or he's just a, he's, he's lying through his teeth about not knowing about the Adidas scandal and not knowing about the, the, the hookers and the, the stripper scandal from a few years back. And, and, you know, this isn't the first time that people have questioned Rick Pitino's programs and, and you know, some of the shady business that has gone on around Rick Pitino's programs. He, he's a heck of a college basketball coach. You can't, you know, you, you, you can't deny the success. He won a couple of national championships. He won one at Kentucky. He won one at Louisville. He made other Final Fours with Kentucky and Providence. Uh, he would have made another Final Four if not for the miracle Chris, you know, Christian Leitner shot 25 years ago. The man can coach. There's no question about it. But this was pretty much the most obvious move you could think of. Uh, there, there's simply no chance that 
that, that Rick Pitino could keep his job after, you know, what happened, what was set forth in the arrest report by the U.S. attorney after all that has gone on there uh, under his watch, maybe without his knowledge, if you believe him, but certainly under his watch. There, there's, there's absolutely no question that the decision, I mean, there's, it was just an obvious decision by Louisville to terminate this guy. He, he could not continue to coach there. And oh, by the way, recruits were starting to leave him anyway. Louisville had two recruits, two guys who had verbally committed to Louisville, uh, both very high-level recruits. One guy was a top-ten recruit, this this kid Anthony Simmons, who I think was due in next season. Uh, two recruits came out yesterday and said, we're reopening our recruitment, we're not going to Louisville anymore. That is uh, potentially the least surprising news of the day. Uh, there was another recruit who was another high-level guy who was considering Louisville pretty, you know, pretty heavily. Who also said, "I'm not considering them anymore." Uh, again, no-brainer. You, you can't continue to, to to keep this guy in the fold, especially after the report came out and Louisville acknowledged that it was a target of this investigation. So, what does that have to do with today's Boston sports scene? Not a whole heck of a lot, but. You know, with with Rick's obvious previous ties to the Celtics uh, and previous, I guess, transgressions or, or infamy in Boston, it felt appropriate to bring him up and, and remember him for a little bit. So, Patino fired. Louisville looking for a coach. Uh, you know, I guess you wish him well. I guess you wish his family well. But uh, you can't say you feel terrible for the guy with all that's gone on in his life. So before we wrap up, I want to make one correction and, and apology to my audience for something I said earlier in the week. Uh, I, I think I said that the Bruins had, were, were, were going to play the Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers, in a preseason game on Tuesday night. That was my fault. It was not scheduled for Tuesday night. It was a misread of the schedule by me. It is actually scheduled for this evening, tonight, uh, in Philadelphia. So the Bruins will be here playing the Flyers in a preseason game. Hopefully, if the schedule will allow it, I'll be able to catch some of that game uh, and, and can report back on what I see. The Bruins are obviously getting very close to the start of the regular season and are getting very close to finalizing this roster. They've still got a, young, a lot of young guys up here um, competing for roster spots. And, and you know, a couple of the, you know, the, the, the media's kind of hounding a couple of the veterans, Matt Bolesky, David Backus. I mean, are you guys really going to be here? Tim Schaller. To, to, to see if, if, if these guys are actually going to be here when the season starts or if the, the Bruins are going to go in, in, a, in a youth movement direction. But uh, Bruins Flyers tonight, so nice little game for me. I get to see the Bruins down here. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, only one more preseason game for the Bruins before they begin the regular season next Thursday night. It's the, 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 the opener of the NFL, NFL excuse me NHL season for the Bruins next Thursday at home against Nashville. Pretty pretty stiff early season test for the Bruins. Nashville obviously won the Western Conference last year, runner-up in the playoffs, and lost the Stanley Cup to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, stiff early season test, but nice to have hockey back in any in any event. And only so only a couple more, more preseason games, but the word out of the Bruins locker room, as is the case in most preseasons, but the Bruins have been highly, you know, pretty, they're pretty high on this group. It certainly seems that way. Uh, the reports from, from all the writers seem very high on the young talent. I've said that a million times on this podcast, but I'll continue to say it, uh, at least until the regular season starts and we start seeing what these guys really are. 
but uh, a lot of really, really positive reports for the, on the Bruins in the preseason, and you can't say that has happened in a little while. So uh, nice to see. Only a couple more preseason games tonight in Philadelphia. I believe they have one more tomorrow against Chicago. Uh, maybe Montreal. I don't know who they're playing tomorrow, but it's on the road. Uh, so last chance for guys to make a roster uh, or to get a roster spot before the regular season starts. We will have a recap of the game against the Flyers, or at least we'll try to have one tomorrow uh, briefly. Tomorrow is Patriots preview day. It's Friday. We will, as we always do, do a widespread preview of the Patriots game and a prediction on the game uh, before you get to watching it on Sunday. But in any event, Bruins tonight against the Flyers. I apologize for my earlier mix-up saying it was Tuesday. The game is tonight. And uh, check it out. Should be on TV. Should be on, uh, I don't know about Nesson, but uh, could be on TV in the Boston area. So check it out if you can. So that's our show for this morning, this Thursday morning, September 28th. Uh, like I said, tomorrow will be a very big Patriots preview day. We will preview the week four game against Carolina and give you a prediction on that. Uh, hopefully, we got a lot to cover tomorrow. Uh, so hopefully I get stuck in traffic or something on the way to work because we got a lot to cover. Uh, Red Sox with a big game and a potentially a potential series clinching win, uh, a potential series clinching game depending on what the Yankees do tonight against the Houston Astros. It will be Eduardo Rodriguez and and Brad Peacock tonight, 7:05 from Fenway. Uh, if we have time, we will certainly discuss uh, the Bruins preseason game against the Flyers uh, and any initial observations I have on that team. But again, we got to. We got a lot to cover tomorrow. We got really important stuff uh, to, to go over tomorrow morning. So tune in if you can. Tomorrow will be Friday. For now, make it a great Thursday. It's a nice day here in the Philadelphia area. Hope it's great at home in New England. Hope it's great wherever you are, wherever you may be listening. Uh, again, you can check us out on, on Anchor. We do this live every morning from the car every weekday morning. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we, we get the show up usually in the morning about an hour afterward. Uh, so you can get it on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. For now, make it a great day. This is Mike Lyon signing off from the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Goodbye, everybody.